Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have with us a very special guest, the Honorable Roger T. Benitez, U.S. District Court Judge for the Federal District Court in the Southern District of California Trial Court. Thanks for being here, Roger. Just to clarify, uh, Roger Benitez is here through his judicial writing. His opinion, his judgment issued, his decision issued in Duncan versus Bonta, filed on the 22nd of September, 2023. Here's Judge Benitez. We begin at the end. California's ban and mandatory dispossession of firearm magazines holding more than 10 rounds was preliminarily enjoined in 2017. That decision was affirmed on appeal. In 2019, summary judgment was granted in favor of plaintiffs and uh, the relevant statute in its entirety was judged to be unconstitutional. Initially, that decision was also affirmed on appeal. However, the decision was reheard and reversed by the Court of Appeals on Bank. In 2022, the United States Supreme Court granted certiorari, vacated the appellate and bank decision and remanded the case. The Court of Appeals in turn remanded the case to this court for further proceedings consistent with New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. All relevant, all relevant findings of facts and conclusions of law set forth in the prior decision concluding the relevant statute is unconstitutional are incorporated herein. Uh, just a quick note, uh, when I say, this is me now, when I say the relevant statute, I'm just nixing the statute number, okay? So I'm I'm adding that insertion. Here's Judge Benitez again, introduction. There is a long tradition of widespread lawful gun ownership by private individuals in this country, unquote, according to the United States Supreme Court. That's in the Staples case, 1994. By the way, you should look that up and read it. Maybe I'll do a, an episode on it at some point. Americans have an individual right to keep and bear firearms. The Second Amendment to the United States Constitution guarantees the individual right to own, to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation. That's uh, quoting Blackstone, common law commentator. This guarantee is fully binding on the states and limits their ability to devise solutions to social problems. And the guarantee protects the possession of weapons that are in common use or arms that are typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. 
These are the decisions this court is bound to apply. Quote, it's our duty as judges to interpret the Constitution based on the text and original understanding of the relevant provision, not on public policy considerations or worse, fear of public opprobrium or criticism from the political branches, unquote. That quote is from United States versus Rahimi, Judge Ho's concurrence. That's at the Fifth Circuit. Now, let me just make a another quick note briefly that I'm not going to say quote and unquote every time he's quoting. I'm just going to read it through, okay? That I think it's going to be smoother that way. And let's thank Judge Roger Benitez for joining us on the Republican Professor through this court decision. Thank you, Roger, for taking the time to write this. We really appreciate it, how much time you put into this. Let's respect Roger and put some time into listening to it. Here's, here's Judge Benitez again. Quote, this case, this is him, this is Judge. This case is about a California state law that makes it a crime to keep and bear common firearm magazines typically possessed for lawful purposes. Based on the text, history, and tradition of the Second Amendment, this law is clearly unconstitutional. The detachable firearm magazine solved a problem with historic firearms running out of ammunition and having to slowly reload a gun. When more ammunition is needed in case of confrontation, a larger magazine is required. Many gun owners want to have ready more than 10 rounds in their guns. As a result, in the realm of firearms, magazines that hold more than 10 rounds are possibly the most commonly owned thing in America. These larger magazines number over 100 million. For handguns, the most popular sizes range up to 17 rounds. The most popular size for rifles, pardon, one more, sorry, <laughs> this is me. There are a lot of footnotes and I'm not going to read, I read the footnotes when I go through this in preparation for the episode. If you want to look at the footnotes, uh, you can click the link to Michelle and Associates by the way, Chuck Michelle is a, a multiple-time guest on the Republican Professor podcast in 2022. He's the president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, which is this year 150 years old. Can you believe that? Woohoo! Back to Judge Medina's. I'll read that last sentence again. Four handguns, the most popular sizes range up to 17 rounds. The most popular size for rifles is 30 rounds. Yet regardless of the overwhelming popularity of larger magazines, California continues to prohibit any magazine capable of holding more than 10 rounds. There is no American tradition of limiting ammunition capacity to the and the 10 round limit 
has no historical pedigree and it is arbitrary and capricious. It is extreme. Our federal government and most states impose no limits. And the states where limits are imposed, there is no consensus. Delaware landed on a 17-round magazine limit. Illinois and Vermont picked limits of 15 rounds for handguns and 10 rounds for rifles. Colorado went with a 15-round limit for handguns and rifles and a 28-inch tube limit for shotguns. New York tried its luck at a seven-round limit. That did not work out. That's a footnote you want to pay attention to, by the way. Footnote 21. New York, New Jersey started with a 15-round limit and then reduced the limit to 10 rounds. The fact that there are so many different numerical limits demonstrates the arbitrary nature of magazine capacity limits. In a stealth return to the interest balancing test rejected by Heller and Bruin, the state ostensibly justifies its magazine limits by deeming the smaller magazines, quote, well-suited, unquote, for its citizens. Suitability, in turn, is based on concocted statistics about what a hypothetical average person needs to defend against an attacker or attackers in an average self-defense situation. Based on this hypothetical, statistically average case scenario, the state permits its citizens to have a gun, but the state decides the number of rounds in the gun that it finds suitable. This page is mostly footnotes, which, by the way, this this is me. The footnotes are worth reading. Oh, my goodness. Look at this. Look how many footnotes right here. This is all footnotes. For those listening, I know you can't hear, but just click on the link and you'll see yourself. I'm on page six. In doing so, this is Roger Benitez again. In doing so, the state denies a citizen the federal constitutional right to use common weapons of their own choosing for self-defense. There have been and there will be times when many more rounds, many more than 10 rounds are needed to stop attackers. Yet under this statute, the state says, quote, too bad, unquote. It it says if you think you need more than 10 chances to defend yourself against criminal attackers, you must carry more magazines or carry more bullets to hand reload and fumble into your small magazine while the attackers take advantage of your pause. On the other hand, you can become a criminal too. You can become a criminal too. So the previously law-abiding California citizen who buys and keeps at her bedside a nationally popular Glock 17 with its standard 17 round magazine becomes the criminal because the state dictates that a gun with 17 round magazine is not well suited for home defense. I would encourage you to read these footnotes. They're examples of people that are using them in self-defense. Numbers vary, but it is, uh, but some estimate that 81 million Americans own between 415 
and 456 million firearms. Further, millions of Americans across the country own large capacity magazines. One estimate shows that civilians possessed about 150 million, 115 million LCMs, that's large capacity magazines, out of a total of 230 million magazines in circulation. Put another way, half of all magazines in America hold more than 10 rounds. A more recent large-scale survey estimates that Americans own today own uh, 542 million rifle and hand, handgun magazines that hold more than 10 rounds. Home defense and target shooting are two of the most common reasons for owning these larger magazines. Moreover, the survey reports 48% of gun owners have owned a handgun or rifle magazine that holds more than 10 rounds. But California bans these typically possessed magazines kept and used for self-defense. I'm going to take a drink of my tea really quick. I got green tea going on. Why are larger magazines chosen for self-defense? Crime happens a lot. One recent estimate holds that guns are needed defensively approximately 1.67 million times a year. Another report originally commissioned and long cited by the Centers of G Disease Control and Prevention estimates that there are between half a million and three million defensive gun uses in the United States every year. That's also a footnote worth checking out. Woe to the victim who runs out of ammunition before armed attackers do. The police will mark the ground with chalk, count the number of shell casings, and file the report. All of this was decided earlier. What remains to be done? California Penal Code, blah, 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 must be assessed. That's the relevant statute. Sorry, I was supposed to skip that must be assessed in light of Bruin. Now on remand, the state has to justify this ban under Bruin, which makes clear that, quote, to justify its regulation, the government must may, uh, may not simply posit that the regulation promotes an important interest, unquote. After all, quote, the very enumeration of the right takes out of the hands of the government, even the third branch of government, the power to decide on a case-by-case -case basis whether the right is really worth insisting upon, unquote. And that's from Heller at 634. So the state must demonstrate that its extreme ban is consistent with this nation's historical tradition of firearms regulation. As explained below, there is no national tradition of prohibiting or regulating firearms based on firing capacity or ammunition capacity. Roman numeral two constitutional standards. Judge Benitez con continues. The second amendment provides a well-regulated uh, militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. 
The Second Amendment extends prima facie to all instruments that constitute bearable firearms, bearable arms, even those that were not in existence at the time of the founding. According to Heller, the Second Amendment is naturally divided into two parts, its prefatory clause and its operative clause. The former does not limit the latter grammatically, but rather announces a purpose. The amendment could be rephrased because a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The first salient feature is that it codifies a right of the people. Heller then examines the substance of the constitutional right, the verbs to keep and to bear, and the, their object, arms. So what does it mean to keep and bear arms? The Supreme Court concludes that the 18th century meaning of arms is no different from the meaning today. The 1773 edition of Samuel Johnson's Dictionary defined arms as weapons of offense or armor of defense. Timothy Cunningham's important 1771 legal dictionary defined arms as anything that a man wears for his defense or takes into his hands or useth in wrath to cast at or strike another. In the past, the term arms included weapons that were not specifically designed for military use and were not employed in a military capacity. Although one founding era thesaurus limited arms to instruments of offense generally made use of in war, even that source stated that all firearms constituted arms, according to Heller. And it is now clear that the Second Amendment extends prima facie to all instruments that constitute bearable arms, even those that were not in existence at the time of the founding. Heller, Heller later describes the types and kinds of arms that are guaranteed Second Amendment protection. But first, Heller describes the meanings of to keep and to bear arms. We turn to the phrases, keep arms and bear arms. Johnson defines keep, defined keep as more, most relevantly to retain, not to lose and to have in custody. Webster defined it as to hold, to retain in one's power or possession. Thus the most, the most natural reading of keep arms in the second amendment is to have weapons. Keep arms, according to Heller, was simply a common way of referring to possessing arms for militiamen and everyone else. To bear meant to carry for the purpose of being armed and ready in case of conflict with another person. Heller even cited with approval the meaning of the phrase carries a firearm proposed by Justice Ginsburg in Muscarello versus United States. 
quote, as the Constitution's Second Amendment indicates, bear, wear, or carry upon the person or in the clothing or in a pocket for the purpose of being armed and ready for offensive or defensive action in a case of conflict with another person, unquote. That is from Justice Ginsburg's dissent in Muscarello. I'm telling you the footnote on that one. Providing our modern understanding of Second Amendment text, Heller concludes, putting all of these textual elements together, we find that they guarantee the right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation. Very important in the past, still important in the future. Heller describes the concepts of America's militia. In Miller, let me tell you really quick what Miller was. Miller was a New Deal era Supreme Court decision related to the National Firearms Act 1934. Okay, and that's, it's really It's important because it's the major Supreme Court decision on the Second Amendment in the 1900s, I would say. Okay. There's not very many Supreme Court decisions of the, on the Second Amendment in the 1900s. Some people might say that's the only one, but um, in terms of a direct second amendment issue in miller this is uh, judge benitez continuing page 11 in miller we explained that the militia comprised all males physically capable of acting in concert for the common defense and heller explains why the militia was important Two of the three reasons remain important today. There are many reasons why the militia was thought to be necessary to the security of a free state. First, of course, it is lawful and repel it is useful in repelling invasions and suppressing insurrections. Third, <laughs> this is partial part of a quote, and he's skipping some of it, but third. Then the able-bodied men of a nation are trained in arms and organized. Sorry, when the, the able-bodied men of a nation are trained in arms and organized, they are better able to resist tyranny. Once one understands the history of tyrants resorting to taking away people's arms to suppress political opposition, Heller explains, one can see that the militia clause fits perfectly with the operative clause. Heller teaches, we reach the question then, does the preface fit with an operative clause that creates an individual right to keep and bear arms? It fits perfectly once one knows the history that the founding generation knew 
and that we have described above. This is a quote from Heller. He's quoting Heller right here. Block quote. So it's a long quote. I should have said, Heller teaches, quote, we reach the question then, does the preface fit with an operative clause that creates an individual right to keep and bear arms? It fits perfectly. Once one knows the tradition that the founding generation knew and that we have described above, that history showed that the way tyrants had eliminated a militia consisting of all able-bodied men was not by banning the militia, but simply by taking away the people's arms, enabling a select militia or a standing army to suppress political opponents. This is what had occurred in England that prompted the codification of the right to have arms in the English Bill of Rights, unquote. This is Judge Benitez again. While the protection of a citizen militia was important, most people regarded the Second Amendment as even more important for its protection of self-defense and hunting. The prefatory clause does not suggest that preserving the militia was the only reason that Americans valued the ancient right. Most undoubtedly, most undoubtedly thought it even more important for self-defense and hunting. After all, the right to self-defense is the first law of nature in most governments. It has been the study of rulers to confine the right within the narrowest limits possible. Wherever standing armies are kept up and the right of the people to keep and bear arms is under any color or pretext whatsoever prohibited, liberty, if not already annihilated, is on the brink of destruction. As one commentator wrote at the time of the 14th Amendment was adopted in 1868, quote, the purpose of the Second Amendment is to secure a well-armed militia, but a militia would be useless unless the citizens were unable to exercise themselves in the use of warlike weapons, unquote. In this way, a general public knowledge and skill with weapons of war is beneficial to the nation at large and is protected by the Second Amendment. No doubt a citizen who keeps a gun or a pistol under judicious precautions practices in safe place safe places the use of it, and in due time teaches his sons to do the same, exercises his individual right. Uh, this is me again. If the language sounds antiquated all of a sudden, it's because I'm quoting something and I'm not telling you it's the quote, because he quotes so much, he's quoting older sources and stuff like that. So don't be too weirded out. This is normal. How are you doing, by the way? Are you getting this? Is this harder or easier than you thought to understand? I have a PhD in this stuff, so I, I mean, I forget. I think I probably could have understood this as an undergrad without any special training, but I mean, I'm kind of used to it, the format and stuff like that. And maybe some of this is weird to you, but 
Let me continue here. Judge Benitez. And the right to bear arms has always been the distinctive privilege of freemen. In the end, the Supreme Court deems the Second Amendment as valuable for both preserving the militia and for self-defense, which is the heart of the right. MacDonald put it this way. In Heller, quote, in Heller, we recognize that the codification of this right was prompted by fear that the federal government would disarm and thus disable the militias. But we rejected the suggestion that the right was valued only as a means of preserving the militias. On the contrary, we stressed that the right was also valued because the possession of firearms was thought to be essential for self-defense. As we put it, self-defense was the central component of the right itself, unquote. This is Benitez again. Heller specifically considered whether the a District of Columbia prohibition on the possession of usable handguns in the home violates the Second Amendment to the Constitution. And District of Columbia law also required residents to keep their lawfully owned firearms, such as registered long guns, unloaded and disassembled or bound by a trigger lock or similar device unless they are located in a place of business or being used for lawful recreational activities. In the end, the Supreme Court struck down both parts of the statute. In sum, we hold that the district's ban on handgun possessions in the home violates the Second Amendment, as does its prohibition against rendering any lawful firearm in the home operable for the purpose of immediate self-defense. That's quoting the decision in Heller. While reaching its conclusion, the Supreme Court considered what types of firearms were and were not protected by the Second Amendment. Highlighting the central tenet of the Second Amendment, the Supreme Court wrote, this is a big quote, I'm warning you, quote, we may as well consider at this point, for we have to consider eventually what type of weapons Miller per permits. Read in isolation, Miller's phrase, uh, quote, part of ordinary military equipment, unquote, could mean that only those weapons useful in warfare are protected. That would be a startling reading of the opinion, since it would mean that the National Firearms Act re acts restrictions on machine guns, <laughs> not challenged in Miller, might be unconstitutional, <laughs> machine guns being useful in warfare in 1939. We think that Miller's ordinary military equipment language must be read in tandem with what comes after. Ordinarily, when called for militia service, able-bodied men were expected to bear appear bearing arms supplied by themselves and of the kind in common use at the time. The traditional mili uh, militia was formed from a pool of men bringing arms, quote, in common use at the time, unquote, for lawful purposes like self-defense. In the colonial and revolutionary war era, small arms weapons, 
used by the militiamen and weapons used in defensive person and home were one and the same. We therefore read Miller to say only that the Second Amendment does not protect those weapons, not typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. Since it was the conception of the militia at the time of the Second Amendment's ratification that the body of all citizens capable of military service would bring the sorts of lawful weapons that they possessed at home to militia duty, uh, the right to keep and bear arms, uh, to keep and carry arms means the sort of weapons protected were those in common use at the time. A, magazines are protected arms. The state argues that larger capacity magazines are not arms. Ah, I'm going to have to take a drink of uh, tea after that one. Oh, man, it gets better. How are you doing on time? First, the state argues the magazines are not essential to the use of firearms and consequently will would be uh, would have to be thought of as accessories. But magazines are integral components to a vast category of guns. He's citing sources there. Uh, you know, most pistols are manufactured with magazines holding 10 to 17 rounds, and many popular rifles are manufactured with magazines holding 20 or 30 rounds. While the Second Amendment does not explicitly mention ammunition or magazines supplying ammunition, without bullets, the right to bear arms would be meaningless. This is because the right to keep firearms and protection implies a corresponding right to obtain the bullets necessary to use them. <laughs> the possession of arms is also implied in the possession, uh, also implied the possession of ammunition. By extension, um, by the way, that last little section was a quote from Miller, 1939. By extension, arms included the magazine components necessary to supply the bullet into the chamber of the gun. Our case law supports the conclusion that there must be also some corollary, albeit not unfettered, right to possess the magazines necessary to render those firearms operable. It is hard to imagine something more closely related to the right to use a firearm in self-defense than the ability to effectively load ammunition into the firearm. <laughs> Put more broadly, the Second Amendment protects ancillary rights necessary to the realization of the core right to possess a firearm for self-defense. Consequently, whether thought of as a firearm able to fire a certain number of rounds because of its inserted magazine or as a separate ammunition feeding component, magazines are usable arms within the meaning 
of the Second Amendment. As the Third Circuit Court of Appeals found, quote, we therefore must determine whether the regulated item is an arm under the Second Amendment. The law challenged here regulates magazines, and so the question is whether a magazine is an arm under the Second Amendment. The answer is yes, unquote. Proffering two subsidiary arguments, the state says a magazine of some size may be necessary, but a magazine larger than 10 rounds is not necessary to operate a firearm, and thus a larger magazine is not a protected arm. Two, statistically, people rarely fire more than 10 rounds in self-defense, so it can be said that a Magazine larger than 10 rounds is rarely used for self-defense. And if a larger magazine is not commonly used for self-defense, then it is not a protected arm. For the first argument, the state claims that if a standard 17-round magazine is detached from a standard Glock 17 pistol, the 17-round magazine is no longer a weapon by itself, and because the Glock 17 pistol could still function with a substitute 10-round magazine, then the 17-round standard Glock magazine does not come within the definition of arms that the Second Amendment protects. In contrast, according to the state, a magazine holding 10 or less may qualify as a protected arm, but a magazine able to hold 11 or more is not a protected arm. What the state, when you guys know, this is me, you guys know when he says state, he's talking about the state of California, okay? Where I am right now. What the state seems to be really saying is that a magazine may be a protected arm, but only the state has the right to pick the number of rounds a citizen may have in his gun. This court disagrees. Wow, that's powerful. This court disagrees. The Supreme Court has not described protected arms in subdivided categories. When Heller found handguns were protected, it did not distinguish between semi-automatic pistols and revolvers. Heller did not classify protected handguns according to the number of rounds one could hold or the caliber of the ammunition that could be fired. It did not suggest that typically possessed arms could be subcategorized and subjected to judicial ad hoc, sometimes it's pronounced ad hoc, which my mentor, Michael Yulman, used to pronounce it that way. Constitutional determinations. Whether thought of as uh, of holistically as handgun, a handgun, irrespective of magazine size, as Hiller do, Heller does, or as an entirely separate attachment, both firearms and their magazines of all typical sizes are arms. Uh, covered by the text of the Second Amendment. This is not even a close call. As this court has said before, neither magazines 
nor rounds of ammunition, nor triggers, nor barrels uh, are specifically mentioned in the Second Amendment, but without a right to keep and bear triggers or barrels or ammunition and the magazines that hold ammunition, the Second Amendment right would be meaningless. Using reason that is still persuasive, the Ninth Circuit agreed explaining, quote, put simply, a regulation cannot permissibly ban a protected firearms components critical to its operation, unquote. More recently, Council for California's governor in a related fee-shifting case agreed while pointing out that the large capacity magazine ban appears in the penal code title on firearms. And a restriction on the ammunition that may be used in the firearm is a restriction on firearms. Leaving no doubt, even the vacated, <laughs> you got that in there, the vacated Ninth Circuit en banc decision assumed that the relevant statute implicates the Second Amendment. Eighteen pages. We're 18 pages in, people. Relatedly, the state argues that it is only restricting a firearm component or an accessory. LCMs, uh, large capacity magazines, are not weapons in themselves, says the state, nor are they necessary to operate any firearm for self-defense. California residents who purchased new pistols in the last decade are probably surprised to hear that Magazines are not necessary to operate a pistol. After all, another state law known as the Unsafe Handgun Act, that's the so-called California roster, pistol roster, handgun roster. That was me. Requires new semi-automatic uh, pistols to have an integrated magazine disconnect mechanism in order to be sold to the public. Let me just really, uh, well, I'll, Here's Benitez. He, he, he'll tell you. A magazine disconnect mechanism prevents the, a pistol from firing at all, even if one round is left loaded in the chamber, if the magazine is not inserted into the pistol. I would add all the way, you know, in there. The state-mandated magazine disconnect mechanism thus prevents the operation of the firearm without its magazine. While rifles are not required to have a magazine disconnect mechanism, the state must conclude, uh, concede that at least for semi-automatic handguns, the state deems not unsafe, firearms for self-defense will not function without a magazine. Modern magazines, submit the state, are more like founding-era cartridge boxes or ancillary equipment associated with soldiering that were not strictly necessary to fire a gun. Today, however, as pointed out above, some semi-automatic firearms will not function at all without a magazine, while others can fire no more than one round. As such, a magazine is an essential component without which a semi-automatic firearm is useless for self-defense. Therefore, a magazine falls within the meaning 
of arms. B, LCMs are used for self-defense, page 20. And we're going to stop today there. Thank you so much for joining us. The Honorable Roger T. Benitez, the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of California, the trial court. He was appointed by George W. Bush. You may have heard of him. Thanks for joining us on the Republican Professor podcast. And if you enjoyed this, if you have a comment, would like to suggest topics or guests, you can send an email to the Republican Professor at Substack.com. And you know, attach like a $10 bill or a $20 bill. Bring the money in. Stop just freeloading. Okay. You shiftless people. Well, I've enjoyed this. I hope you have too. We're going to continue on with Roger Benitez, Judge Robert Roger Benitez in the next episode going through Duncan versus Becerra from September of 2023. Have a nice day.